0: new Combi as a family, there's five, I've got five kids, so there's a lot of us who've been sardine canning it for many years, and as every year the kids get bigger, they're like, just less and less, not enough air to breathe, so, so finally we got a Combi, and we're so excited to have driven to KZN and back again, and we really missed you guys. Oh my gosh, being with God's people, in God's presence, lifting up the name of Jesus, Nothing like it in the world. I mean, we have been in paradise in KZN, and even paradise can't touch what's happening this morning. It's what a privilege, eh? You, you know, you, you go, you forget. You forget the real joy of life is worshiping God. You can forget. You can forget in three days. Come Wednesday, you like you could forget. Like the best thing you could possibly do with your life is to be worshiping Jesus. Next weekend, I'm very excited about Peter Hughes coming. Pete Hughes coming to our church. In this holiday, I've been studying the book of Romans. And in Romans 1, Paul says, I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to give you spiritual gifts that you might need. And I wonder what we as a church need that God knows. And he's sending Pete Hughes, and Pete Hughes is going to give it to us next week. And I know Saturdays are like such an important day to do like nothing or admin, or whatever you were going to do, nothing better than from 9.30 to 12.30 to be here. I'm asking you to make a concerted effort to be here, 9.30 to 12.30. Um, email, signal, hello at Signal Church, or just so we know how many people are coming. We're also going to be hosting a fair amount of people from other churches. So here's what I want you to do next week. Come a little early and look around and just be the friendliest, warmest person you could possibly be regardless of whatever your personality type just just be warm because some people are going to come and they go okay well signal is hosting us we'll blow them away with our warmth and our hospitality okay so 9 30 to 12 30 and we've got kids care yeah absolutely and then on sunday it's going to be a bring and share so bring and share don't just wait till afterwards to flood um, willies across the road and really with these long queues of 60 people. We're going to do a bring and share uh, after next week's meeting with Pete Hughes on the Sunday. Okay, so 9.30 12.30. Come, come. So I want to speak to you from Genesis 22 on three things. Relinquishment, radical obedience, and the rewards of Those two things. Relinquishment, radical obedience, and the reward of those two things. You know, right at the heart of being a Christian is to let God be God. It sounds so simple, and yet it's the one thing that our culture is absolutely determined not to do. Ever since the Enlightenment, uh, the Western culture has firmly taken upon themselves to let every person be their own God. We've breathed this in with the air that we came into the world. We, we drank it in with our mother's milk, this assumption that I am the God of my own life. I often get to have coffees and meals with people and have fantastic conversations. Sometimes i walk away so sad. One of the saddest ones this year was somebody who came to our church for a couple of weeks and seemed to show interest. And then I had time with him, and he let me know that he's not coming back to, to church yet just been exploring Christianity, and he'd done some online assessment where basically the questions was like, what do you believe? And then telling you which religions probably suit you. And he had ticked in his list of what he beliefs that that he doesn't want anyone outside of himself to be in charge of him. So then it crossed off Christianity, and he's like, no, Christianity is not the religion for me. I mean, I could hardly believe the logic behind it, because basically he made a prior commitment to not let anyone outside of himself ever tell him what to believe and how to live, and then evaluated Christianity on that. Now, I'm not picking on this guy because it, you can understand the logic behind it. But imagine you were, you were sick, uh, very sick, and then some, you asked around for the best doctor, and you, you find this doctor, you go to her, and she uh, gives you this pill, and you taste it. It tastes awful. You don't go back to her. It would be absurd. <laughs> Imagine taste testing—you know this—the the, whether you could trust this doctor. And, and when I was having coffee with this guy, I said, "Like, don't you want to know if Jesus is real? Truly, <laughs> that should be the starting point. Is he real? And if he's real, well then, okay. What, what else can he teach you about life? To let God be God. Now, understandably, if God is like Hitler, you don't want him to, be in char- him to be in charge of you. And what if he's the warmest, wisest person in the whole universe?" What then? And I want to propose that the God of the Bible is the warmest, wisest person in the whole universe who through his fierce love is here to save you from the things that hold you captive. And through his tender love, is able to dissolve the resistance in our heart towards him. His love is able to conquer us. I want to propose that you let his love conquer you. So, I'm preaching today from the Akedah. That's the name of Genesis chapter 22. It means the binding, the Akedah. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Okay, it's a shocking story. Because what on earth is God doing suggesting somebody sacrifices their child? And um, I think it's just fair to say it is a shocking story. M- maybe in ancient cultures it was less shocking, but in my culture it's, it's <coughs> I'm embarrassed. <laughs> it's in the Bible at times, these kind of stories, I'll be honest. But but I've learned to go, hang on, these stories are in the Bible for a reason. And instead of just, you know, rejecting it, I wonder what it's there for. It needs to be said that As the story unfolds, we will see that God does not endorse child sacrifice at all. In fact, this, early, this story deeply carves into subsequent humanity the knowledge that child sacrifice is not the way of God at all. We also must remember that God never asked this of anyone else. It was a one-time event, never to be repeated, never. That is, until the day he asked it of himself. The day his son would carry on his shoulders the wood of his own sacrifice. In fact, it's only on that bloody Friday that this confusing story will finally make sense. I decided to preach this passage over two weeks. This week and in two weeks' time. So I want to look at it in terms of what we learn about uh, relinquishment, radical obedience, and the rewards this week. But in two weeks' time, I want to look at the story again and see why it's really in the Bible. Because it's a powerful portal into the story of the gospel. So you're only going to hear the first layer of meaning this week. And in two weeks' time, I want to hopefully blow your mind with why the story is really in the Bible, because what it tells us of God and Jesus. So my question to you is, how much do you trust and obey God? Now, obviously, if you're not a believer yet, uh, not, not very much. <laughs> Absolutely, understand that. I mean, you're on a journey of coming to a place of discovering there is a God you can trust. And you can obey. And hopefully by the end of my message, you'll, you'll be much further along on that journey. There are times when God may ask of us to do something, to let go of something or let go of someone. Or maybe endure a situation that is so complex or painful that it stretches to new heights our readiness to trust and listen to him. There are these testing experiences, testing experiences. And uh, just a little point here is they tend to come after some fantastic revelations of God. I mean, the story of Abraham, in the last few weeks, we've learned that he has received Isaac, the son of promise. He's got the favor of a king. He's finally got a little bit of land. He's had this riveting revelation of God. He's on cloud nine by the time this testing experience comes to him. I mean, 700 years later, Abraham's descendants are gonna be freed from Egyptian slavery. They're gonna walk out free. And then they're gonna go into the desert and have a testing experience. I mean, Jesus is drenched in his baptism water. He's on cloud nine. And then he gets sent out by the spirit into the desert where he has some testing experiences. The point is, we need to remember that Etched into Abraham's mind is a powerful discovery of the goodness and the greatness of God. God is not, he will not tend to let you go through a testing experience that you're not able to to deal with based on what he's already showed you. So I've got three points for you relinquishment. And radical obedience and the reward. So let's speak about relinquishment. Relinquishment. I first learned about this when I studied at Bible college years ago. And one of my professors taught us the prayer of relinquishment. She suggested that every now and then we get really earnest in prayer. And we name everything and everyone that matters so much to us that is in this created world. And we loosen our grip on it and we give it back to God. Give it back to God. Relinquish it up to God. Is it your career, your children, your partner, your reputation, your wealth, your pleasure, dreams, the house you live in? You see, we tend to hold on to these things so tightly that they actually eat away at our soul. C.S. Lewis, he said this. He speaks about the danger of putting loved ones before God. He says, insofar as I learn to love my earthly dearest at the expense of God, and instead of God, I shall be moving towards the state in which I shall not love my earthly dearest at all. When first things, like loving God, are put first, second things, like loving people, are not suppressed but increased. We tend to take creative things and put them in the place of God. And what we do is we crush these things under the weight of our expectation. We break the blessings of God. They become idols to us. And then there are times when we lose these things because they are temporary. Every person you love, there will come a day when that will be their last day. Uh, everything that you prize, none of these things last forever forever. So there are times when we lose these things, and and we can prepare for the loss of them through the prayer of relinquishment. I'm not saying that there's any way to go through life pain-free, but if you've held on to something like it's your God and you lose it, you will be destroyed. But if you have relinquished it to God and you lose it, you will merely be devastated. There's a difference between being devastated and destroyed. Only God we cannot lose. Corrie ten Boom lost all of her loved ones in World War II. And she used to say, you will never know God is all you need until God is all you have. The psalmist in Psalm 73 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So God might instruct us to let things go, to loosen our grip on them. He might allow us to go th- through testing experiences where it feels like we could lose these things. I think about friends who've got cancer. They are learning to relinquish their very life. Yes, they're praying for the extension of their life and we trust in God, but they're they are they're coming to the prayer of relinquishment and about their very lives. What are the things or the people that you are clawing onto right now that are not God's. Why don't you get some time, earnest time this week, and surrender them back to God? Let, loosen your grip on them. Say, God, I give them back to you. I will not cling onto this like it's my salvation. Over the years, I've had to relinquish surfing, and I'm grateful God gave it back to me. I was pretty sure that I, we were going to leave Cape Town. I, went through the painful ordeal of saying, okay, God, where are you sending us? And he sent us to Cape Town. <laughs> your family, some of your friends, relationships. Your, my reputation as a solid person has meant so much to me. When I changed my mind about the Bible's teaching on whether women can be in leadership, it cost me so enormously because some of the people that I respected uh, thought that I'd misinterpret scripture. So you go from being a credible person in their mind to whatever you are now. (laughs) What a painful ordeal (laughs) that's been to me. Signal Church, what a privilege it is to, to get to lead the team that leads this church. I'm holding it loosely. Previous church where I led... I thought it was the church I'd get to lead for the next many decades and it got taken from me and I've learned once, don't even look to the church that you get to serve as. It's not your church, it's Jesus' church, it's Jesus' church and, and, and don't be over sure about God's plan for the church, God knows what he wants to do with the church, it's that Jesus be in control of the future of signal, that Jesus be in control of what happens when we meet together. Yes, we need leadership, but you don't. We don't need control. <laughs> There's a difference. Let God be in control. So, so that's relinquishment. Have I said enough? Got you? Got your mind going on that one, Hey, Relinquishment. Now, I want to speak about radical obedience. Because look how Abraham responds. I'm gonna read it to you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey, taking two of his servants and his son Isaac. Having cut wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here while I go and I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. He himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on, Isaac said, Father? Question mark. Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the, the lamb for the, the burnt offering, Dad? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place, Abraham built an altar and there, there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac. That's why the story is called the Akedah, the binding. And laid him on the altar. Hey, That reminds you of when else was there someone who walked up a hill carrying wood that he would then be placed upon. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Okay, so there's some lessons in radical obedience here. I'm gonna fly through them. I doubt you'll remember them, but maybe you wanna come back to the MP3 and like, apply these to your lives. Radical obedience is without delay. It says he leaves early the next morning. Once Abraham is convinced that God is asking something, something of him, he radically obeys. Delayed obedience is a form of? Disobedience. We need to act immediately when God speaks to us. Secondly, radical obedience doesn't need explanation. I mean, God's instruction to sacrifice the son of promise would have made no sense to Abraham. Yet Abraham does not demand an explanation before acting on it. Reminds you of that verse, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not in your own understanding. Radical obedience is practical. Abraham loads his donkey, he takes servants, he cuts word for the sacrifice. Obedience needs to be worked out very practically in our lives. It's not enough to have an inspiring moment of resolution to obey. We need to earth our obedience in the nitty gritty of practical actions. Radical obedience is tenacious. It takes this entourage three days to get to the mountain, we're told. During this Period. Can you imagine how many times Abraham would have been tempted to give up, but he persevered? It's good that we start to obey. It's even more important that we stay the course. Radical obedience doesn't need group support. Stay here, he says in verse 5. You see, eventually Abraham leaves behind even his servants as he obeys God. It's just him and Isaac. Now, we definitely do need the encouragement of fellow believers. I don't know if anyone can sustain obedience to God in isolation, but still there comes times when it's just you and God. Just you and God. Are you going to obey Him when there isn't? You don't have the encouragement around you. Radical obedience is an act of worship. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham is not lying. Offering up his son, his most precious person in his life, to God was his worship. It's true worship is singing. Worship is encounter with God through the Holy Spirit. Worship is also, according to Romans 12, offering up your life as a living sacrifice. When you offer your life to him, you say, God, take it all. Take my money. Take my mind. Take my time. Take my gifts. Use them for your glory. That's worship. Worship isn't just singing. It's this life of devotion Radical obedience may incur emotional pain. Our heart tears for Abraham as we read of his perplexed son, Isaac, asking him, Dad, what's really going on here? When Abraham binds his boy to an altar of wood, can you imagine the pain in the father's heart? And although not all obedience is painful, thankfully, sometimes obedience is very painful. Radical obedience follows through. Then he reached out his hand, verse 10 says, and took the knife to slay his son. We are to obey God fully and completely because we trust him fully and completely. Obedience to a degree is not enough. God is worthy of our whole radical, daring obedience. Okay, so we could do a whole sermon series on, you know, what exactly is this obedience about? Let me just say something for maybe... Two minutes. Obedience certainly will involve our money and will involve our, our, our sexuality. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the, I think it's in about the year 200, you've got this pagan writer writing perplexed about what he's seeing in these Christian communities. And he says this, we, speaking about, you know, the, the non-Christian Roman, Greco-Roman world, he says, we share our bodies with many people and we keep our possessions to ourselves. These Christians share their possessions with everyone but are stingy with their bodies, (laughs) saving their bodies just for their marriage partner. I mean, that's financial obedience, sexual obedience. How about relationship obedience? What do you do when somebody offends you? Well, I tell you what our culture says. Screw them. Cancel them. Dispose of them. Make new friends. Get on with your life. You don't need those people in your life who've offended you until you read the teachings of Jesus. There's something more serious than being offended, and it's failing to properly love the person who has offended you. Reconciliation is not an optional extra, it is the grand pursuit of all relationships. Christian commun- Christians are not those who dispose of relationships. They do what they can to restore broken relationships. They forgive when they need to forgive. And then, of course, obedience will involve calls to the mission. What is it that God has called you to do? What is it that God has called us to do? I'm part of a team of people that are writing a paper for the Lausanne Conference, this enormous conference that happens it's in North Korea, uh, South Korea next year, And um, we're writing a paper on women's participation in the Great Commission. So we've been doing a little bit of research about women that are at the front of what God is doing around the planet. And these stories, they come hard and fast. This week, I've got a friend who planted a church in Zambia, and he sent me this lovely picture. I want to show you this picture of um, Monica and um, Charity and Febi, and they live in the in, the, in Western Zambia. And so the story behind these three women is they, Paul Van Collie plants this church in Mongu, Zambia, and they pray to God. God gives them a vision. They need to plant churches everywhere. So many unreached tribes in Zambia. So they pray for workers, and then some women arrive at the church. Not Christians, they've walked long and far, they've had visions, God has sent them here, what must they do? They become Christians. They sit under the word of God. Then they say, God has called them to plant churches. So these three women, uh, there's some men too, but most of the men will not go on this mission because you've got to cross uh, croc infested rivers, and you've got to go into tribes where there will be powerful um, occults. People that'll put, uh, you know, witchcraft, they'll put spells on you. They'll try, the men are petrified. These women say, we give our lives to Jesus, send us. Those three women, notice the one on the right, Phoebe, she's holding a little book, it's her field notes. Guess how many churches those three women have planted? 40 churches. Radical Radical obedience. A radical obedience. And um, what is it that God's called you to do with your life? For the kingdom of God. I wonder what God has called Signal Church to do for the kingdom of God. I wonder what he's got in store for us. I feel like there's such promise in this community. I stand here, I look around, and I go, it's a seed it's the beginning of something. And God's added you to this church because there's such a big future upon it. And I, such a big future upon our church. I ask my wife, I don't cry. I can't cry. Tears don't come out my eyes. So if you ever catch me crying, it's like a moment in my life. And then the last part of my message is rewards. Rewards. The rewards of relinquishment, the rewards of radical obedience. See, with Isaac's life on a knife's edge, I left us in a bit of a cliffhanger there. See how God responds to Abraham's obedience next. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, 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 Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. So four ways God rewards our obedience. Firstly, God rewards our obedience with a richer relationship with himself. The story starts off with God saying, Abraham. And it ends with God saying, Abraham, Abraham. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but that sounds a bit like an intensification of relationship. God rewards our obedience with a richer relationship with himself. God says, now I know. It's like God is getting to know us better. Of course he does know us already, but in relationship you are opening up your life to him and he is enjoying this open life and and Abraham is getting to know God better. You want a very close relationship with God, you can't have it without obedience and trust and relinquishment. And then... We read, Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. God rewards our obedience with intervention. As Abraham raises his knife and nearby ram just happens to get stuck in a thicket, the Bible is replete with stories of how at the moment we obey God, and no sooner, God graciously intervenes to rescue, to provide, to heal, to save, to restore, to promote. When you trust and obey God and you step out of the boat onto the water because he says, come, you will have stories. You'll have testimonies of what God does. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. The Hebrew word there is Jehovah Jireh. Yahweh, I don't know how to say it in Hebrew, to God is Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. By the way, this very mountain is the mountain on which Jesus Christ was crucified. I'm telling you too much. We're coming back to then two weeks' time. God rewards our obedience with a deeper revelation of himself, with a deeper revelation of himself. In Genesis chapter 1, God is revealing himself to Abraham, and Abraham gives him the name El Ulam, the eternal God the eternal God. Now Genesis 22, he has a new revelation. God is Jehovah Jireh. El Olam, you're the eternal God. You're, you're the God of the big picture. God, you, I can trust the length of my life to you. Now he is learning he can trust God with the details of his life. God's on the, in the every day of his life in the details. Abraham's learning more. like, God, the way you timed that, this ram just happens to get caught right now. When I became a Christian, I trusted God for eternal life. It took me some time to trust Him in my daily life. I knew Him as El Olam. When I die, I've got to be to heaven with God. But to trust Him with the details of your life, that's the next level, right? And it comes from obeying Him. Abraham returned to his servants and set off together for Beersheba where he stayed. God rewards our obedience with more joy. These stories in the Bible, they're told with sparse detail, but it's not hard to just use a little bit of imagination to fill in the gaps. I mean, when when Abraham is marching up the mountain, his shoulders are hunched, right? His feet are dragging. His face is grim. But what does he look like upon his return? Now there is a spring in his step, and his and Isaac's face beams with joy. This is a joy that will likely light up the ordinary places in his life for years to come. I became a Christian through the ministry of Cape Town Baptist Church, which is now where Jubilee meets, just 150 meters down the road. And um, I used to go to church twice on a Sunday, because my youth leader said, if you like to love Jesus, you've got to church twice. I went to church mornings and evenings, never, you know. And uh, evenings, they'd sing contemporary songs. Mornings, they'd sing hymns. I didn't enjoy that singing, to be honest. But I remember we used to sing one song. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. It's so many words. What are you going to do with them? Why don't you respond to God? What did he say to you about relinquishment? What did he say to you about radical obedience? And maybe if you're new to church or back in church after a long time, or you're just checking things out, maybe today's the day you cross the line of faith. You go, hang up, I've run out of excuses. Why don't you let God be God in your life? Why don't you let Jesus be God in your life? Trust in Him as your Savior. Trust in Him as your El Olam. He'll, take you to, he'll give you eternal life. Trust in Him as your Jehovah Jireh. He'll take care of your life. You can just pray a prayer. Say, Jesus, I come to you. I trust in you. Where you are, I want you to pray that under your breath. Jesus, I come to you. I trust in you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for rising again from the dead. I trust you today. Receive the gift of life. I come into your kingdom. Teach me to trust you now. Teach me to obey you. Teach me to follow you.